Sunday, September 3, 1978. Los Angeles, California. It's five minutes before 5 a.m., and in Long Beach, the pale sun is slowly rising above the horizon. Every few seconds, a car rumbles through the deserted streets, a bird cries from the nearby beach, and the wind rustles through the palm trees. A few blocks away from the ocean, on Molino Avenue, a man called Werner Bilt is taking an early morning walk. He strolls down the wide, empty streets, enjoying the peace and quiet of this late summer's day. He crosses over the road and approaches the crumbling edifice of the Long Beach bathhouse. There's a public restroom inside he thinks might be open. But as he starts descending the flight of stone steps leading down to the men's restroom, something catches Bilt's eye. Something that makes him stop dead in his tracks. At the bottom of the stairs, standing in the open restroom doorway, is a lone figure. He just hovers there halfway over the threshold. He's tall and muscular, and his right hand is holding a gun. Bilt stares in frozen horror. He doesn't want to do anything that could catch the stranger's attention. So he stays exactly where he is, like a deer caught in headlights. It all happens so fast, but Bilt thinks he hears the muffled sound of voices coming from the bathhouse restroom. Voices that rise in excitement or perhaps anger, Bilt can't tell. But then, suddenly, the stranger lifts his right arm and starts shooting. The sound of five bullets rip through the air and echo around the old bathhouse. His heart racing, Bilt whirls around and sprints away. It's only when he's reached a cluster of houses on the other side of the street that he stops for breath. Now, at a safe distance, he watches the armed man exit the bathhouse. Bilt sees the stranger sprint up the stone steps, gun still clasped in his hand, and race down Molino Avenue in the opposite direction. He's running fast, and Bilt never sees the man's face. He does, however, watch the shooter jump inside of a yellow Toyota parked just meters away and speed off into the golden sunrise, now breaking over Long Beach. Bilt is left standing alone, horror-struck at what he just witnessed. Who was the poor man who met his death this quiet Sunday morning? Why was he attacked? And most importantly, who was the shooter? At the moment of death, people often have an overwhelming need to get their biggest secret off their chests. From murder, fake identities, illicit affairs, and even government cover-ups, this show dives deep into the world's most explosive deathbed confessions. This is the story about a horrific murder in the early hours of a quiet September morning and the flawed police investigation that followed. It's a story about two childhood friends who became bitter enemies, about how the testimony of one condemns the other to die, and the surprising deathbed confession given 19 years later, which might just save his life. I'm Estefania Hagman, and this is Deathbed Confessions.
Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. The murder at the Long Beach bathhouse in 1978, as described by eyewitness Werner Bildt, is quickly reported to the police. They waste no time in opening a murder investigation. Authorities quickly identify the victim as 45-year-old Thomas Maxwell, but fail to find any clues as to who the killer could be. For months, the case grows cold, until in early 1979, 31-year-old Joe West, a petty criminal from Long Beach, bursts into a Los Angeles police station. West dramatically announces that his childhood friend, Oscar Lee Morris, is guilty of murder. Well, two murders, to be precise. First, and most immediately, he reports that Morris has just shot a man named Bruce Thompson. But bizarrely, he also accuses Morris of a second killing, a murder at a Long Beach bathhouse in September 1978. Police are quick to respond to West's first claim and swiftly charge Morris with a 1979 shooting of Bruce Thompson. However, they're more skeptical about the second accusation. It's true West seems to know an awful lot about the unsolved murder at the Long Beach bathhouse. According to West, Morris had recently driven him to the scene of the crime where he confessed everything. But what is also clear is that Joe West has a strong motive to want Oscar Lee Morris behind bars. You see, it seems the former childhood friends have now become sworn enemies and both have made attempts on each other's lives. In fact, it's this blood feud that resulted in the death of Bruce Thompson. Whatever is going on between the two men is clearly very complex and highly volatile. Is it possible that West is simply trying to frame Morris? Is it possible that West himself could have committed the bathhouse murder? Long Beach police decide to find out for themselves. It's February 1979. Oscar Lee Morris has just pleaded guilty to the voluntary manslaughter of Bruce Thompson, as well as a host of other charges. But to everyone's surprise, including Joe West, he's only sentenced to eight years. Now more than ever, 
West needs the Long Beach detectives to make headway on the bathhouse murder case. Otherwise, he risks facing a vengeful foe set free far sooner than he'd like. Fortunately for Joe West, despite their misgivings about his motives, his information on the bathhouse murder lines up perfectly with what police already know about the crime. First, the murder did take place on Molino Avenue, and at the time and date, he claims Morris was there. West also claims that the killing was premeditated, an assumption the police share. The victim was shot twice at a close range and suffered fatal wounds to his head and stomach. Injuries such as these imply it was a calculated crime, as opposed to a frenzied attack, almost execution-like. And finally, bullet shells taken from the crime scene revealed that the murder weapon was a 38 caliber revolver, just like Joe West claims, or rather, proves. You see, not only does West provide testimony, he's also handed over hard evidence. At the police station, whilst talking to detectives, he surrendered a handgun, a 38 caliber revolver to be exact. He claims this is the murder weapon and that Morris gave it to him for safekeeping. It's quickly established that the gun is a match for the shells recovered from the bathhouse. No doubt there are a few raised eyebrows amongst Long Beach detectives at this unlikely revelation. Nevertheless, one thing is clear. Joe West can help them close this case, one way or another. Unsurprisingly, the first thing the detectives do is check West's own movements on the day of the crime. It goes without saying when a known criminal walks into a police station in possession of a murder weapon used in an unsolved killing, he's likely to be considered somewhat suspicious himself. But when police run a background check, it reveals a cast iron alibi. It seems in September 1978, Joe West was serving time in prison. There's no way he could have been involved. So having ruled West out as a suspect, police have little choice but to start looking into Oscar Lee Morris. The first action they take is to revisit the witness who claimed to have seen the murder. They track down Werner Bilt and show him a picture of Morris. They ask him if this is the man he saw. Although Bilt can't be certain, as he only saw the man's back, he admits that there's a strong physical resemblance. Next, police take Morris's picture to a second individual. A shop clerk who reported a suspicious man trying to use the bathhouse victim's stolen credit card just three days after the murder. After looking at the photo of Morris, this man also confirms a strong similarity. It's beginning to look like they have a good case against Morris. Joe West's testimony incriminates him, as do the witnesses who were shown his picture. But the police want more. If they're going to charge Morris with another murder, they'll need to make sure their case is concrete and that there's no way for him to wriggle out of justice. So they turn to the one person who might be able to confirm whether he's guilty or innocent, Morris's ex-girlfriend. It's mid-February and police officers are standing outside of a small apartment in Long Beach. As the traffic roars past below, they knock politely on the front door and wait for an answer. After a few minutes, the door swings open just a crack and a young woman stares out. Nervously, she asks the officers what they want. They explain that she's not in any trouble they're here to talk about her ex-boyfriend, Oscar Lee Morris, whom they suspect might be involved in a murder. 
As they're hurriedly rushed through the door and invited to take a seat, the officers ask the woman to tell them about Morris, particularly regarding any information on his whereabouts during September 1978. They listen with interest as the woman explains her lengthy relationship with Morris. According to her, the pair lived together for many years, but never married. Even when they broke up early that summer, they stayed on friendly terms. In fact, Morris was a regular visitor to her apartment and still had access to her car, which he used occasionally. Intrigued by this last point, officers ask her what type of car she drives. With a nonchalant shrug, she nods to the window and points towards the car below. There, parked against the sidewalk, is a small yellow Toyota. The exact same vehicle that the witness saw the shooter drive away in. If there were any lingering doubts as to Morris's involvement in the bathhouse murder, they evaporate with this piece of evidence. Surely it can't be a coincidence that Morris's best friend had the murder weapon. Witnesses recognized his photo and now, the car he shares with his ex is the same one seen at the crime. They've got him. All that's left to do is bring Morris in for questioning and hope that he confirms Joe West's story and repeats his confession on the record. Then, with any luck, the bathhouse murder will finally be closed. But in a bizarre twist, Oscar Lee Morris is never brought in for questioning. In early March 1979, just two months after detectives reopened the bathhouse murder investigation, with Morris now their top suspect, disaster strikes. The Long Beach Police Department undergoes a number of extensive staffing changes. Detectives and officers are fired, hired, and moved onto different cases. Those who are working on the bathhouse murder are reassigned and replaced by younger, less experienced officers. Amidst this upheaval, a major administrative error occurs. The new officers mistakenly file the bathhouse murder as a closed case. Just when they could have been moments away from catching the killer, the entire investigation is abruptly stopped. It's moved into the police department's archives, where it will sit gathering dust. And all the while, their prime suspect is sat within easy reach, serving time for other crimes. For three long years, the bathhouse murder of Thomas Maxwell fades from memory until, out of the blue, a familiar name pops up and starts asking awkward questions. It's May 1982. The afternoon streets of Santa Monica are thronging with heavy traffic. Lights flicker from green to red, angry drivers shout out of their windows, pedestrians swarm between the stationary cars, all the while the burning sun beats down on those below. Suddenly, the sounds of screeching tires and revs of an engine pierce the stale air. A single car breaks free from the sitting traffic and speeds through, its wheels darting recklessly across both sides of the road. Seconds later, a siren wails and flashes of blue and red light up the streets. A police car pulls out of the queue and picks up speed. The chase is on. The two cars race along the streets of Santa Monica, a police car desperately trying to keep up with the vehicle in front. They tear through the heavy afternoon traffic, weaving down side roads, residential streets, 
and across busy intersections until finally they run out of road. The police car flashes its lights once again, signaling for the vehicle ahead to pull over. It eventually complies, coming to a stop on the side of a highway. The front door swings open and the driver sheepishly steps out. It's Joe West. No doubt, when he's eventually transferred back to Long Beach, police officers there will hardly be surprised to see him. West has been in and out of prison numerous times these past few years and is currently on parole for yet another grand theft charge. Considering his extensive criminal history, when police pull him over this time, his future looks bleak. He's just been caught at the wheel of a speeding car, one which they suspect has been stolen. So not only will he face significant charges for the felonies of joyriding and grand theft auto, he'll also be punished for breaking his parole. West is likely aware of the seriousness of the situation and seems to sense that he's defeated. He doesn't struggle as police put him in handcuffs and throw him into the back of their car. He knows he's looking at another lengthy spell behind bars. Although he's had several stints in jail before, when he's pulled over this time, Joe West must be haunted by an old fear that he'll be sent to the same facility as his former friend, Oscar Lee Morris. And he knows that Morris will not make life easy for him on the inside. He might even try to kill him. After all, West was key to getting Morris convicted for the murder of Bruce Thompson. With these terrifying thoughts racing through his mind, West is keen to find out what happened in the investigation into the bathhouse murder. Was Morris ever convicted? Is he now on death row? It must come as a shock to him to discover that the investigation has come to nothing. It's not clear how and when Joe West raises the issue, nor is it clear when the police first discover their mistake. But it seems that before too long, West's traffic violations and parole breaking are the last things concerning the Long Beach Police Department. Thanks to Joe West, they suddenly realize that they've got an open murder case back on their hands and a suspect who they let slip away. Now detectives hastily reopen the investigation and pray it's not too late to get a conviction. It seems as though the recent traffic stop and arrest of Joe West might just work out in everyone's favor. It's now March, 1983. At the Los Angeles County Superior Court, 38-year-old Oscar Lee Morris has been pulled out of prison to stand trial once again. Today, he's facing two charges, the robbery and first-degree murder of Thomas Maxwell at the Long Beach Bathhouse in September 1978. The stakes are exceptionally high, Laws in California dictate that, if he's found guilty of both crimes, he'll be sentenced to death. Morris is pleading innocent, but his defense looks weak from the outset. During cross-examination, Morris claims that his memory is hazy. The alleged crime was committed nearly five years ago. In fact, he tells the jury that he can't even remember where he was on September 3rd, 
the day the murder took place. The defense calls just one witness to the stand, an ex-girlfriend of Morris. She doesn't provide him with an alibi, though, or give any evidence to prove his innocence. Instead, she provides testimony that undermines the credibility of the state's star witness, Joe West. She tells the jury that West broke into her apartment one night in the summer of 1978 when Morris was out and tried to sexually assault her. On top of the ongoing feud between West and Morris, the implication here is that West is not some model citizen whose testimony can be trusted. Morris's lawyers go further, painting West as a hardened criminal, one who's racked up years behind bars for an assortment of crimes, most recently, Grand Theft Auto and parole violation. Which brings the defense to their main point, a point of controversy, something which, if proven true, could destroy the state's entire case against Morris. Morris's defense lawyer explains that West seems to have given his latest testimony while in custody, awaiting charges to be drawn up. Miraculously for West, however, these charges have now all but disappeared. It's not known when exactly they were dropped, but at the time of trial, West does not seem to be facing any sort of punishment at all. The defense's question is a simple one. Why? Morris's defense team speculate that Joe West's charges were dropped in exchange for his false testimony, on which the state's case now depends. If true, failure to disclose this fact to the jury would be a violation of Morris's right to due process. If West was bribed, then even if Morris was guilty, the induced testimony must be disregarded. And so, Morris's defense leaves the jury with another question. Were Long Beach police so desperate to solve the murder that they resorted to bribing a witness? However, the prosecution team is well-prepared and effortlessly casts this dangerous accusation aside. They freely admit that West is a convicted criminal, but insist he didn't receive any sort of reward in return for his testimony. The chief prosecutor, Arthur Jean, is so confident of this fact that he swears it under oath. When asked directly by Morris's defense team if there's any evidence to suggest a deal was struck between lawyers and West, he replies, There is not a shred, and you would know if it existed, if Mr. West got any benefit in the handling of his criminal case. Having dealt with the defense's best strategy, Gene moves swiftly on to the evidence he has against Oscar Lee Morris. He calls numerous witnesses to the stand, including, unsurprisingly, Joe West. Once again, West is the star witness in a case against Morris. Speaking to the jury, West recalls the details of the case. He explains how Morris took him for a drive past the Long Beach bathhouse, how he openly admitted to going on dates with men for money, and, of course, how he confessed to the killing. West even provides a motive for the murder. He implies that Morris felt ashamed. After his interactions with gay men, he felt that, quote, he had to kill one. Finally, West tells the jury that Morris handed over the murder weapon for safekeeping, which he later handed over to the authorities. There's a moment of stony silence as West concludes his testimony. Before stepping off the stand, 
he raises his eyes above the jury and across to where Morris is sitting in his prison jumpsuit, hands shackled in front of him. The two men, once childhood friends and now sworn enemies, lock eyes for a split second. It's impossible to know the thoughts swirling through their minds. Only they know the truth of what really happened on September 3rd, 1978, or what happened in the intervening years that turned these childhood friends into such bitter enemies. West is the first to turn away. He breaks out of his daydream, quickly flicks his gaze back to the jury, and smiles politely at the courtroom. Then he steps down, knowing that he's done all he can. As ever, West's testimony is convincing. The prosecution couldn't have asked for a better witness. His words have tied the entire story together, providing Morris with a motive and opportunity to commit the crime. Better yet, he even alleged that Morris once confessed to the murder. And with the additional charge of robbery for the stolen credit card, Morris's chances of escaping justice look exceptionally slim. Considering the strength of the case against him, it's perhaps unsurprising that the judge and jury are swayed. In March 1983, Oscar Lee Morris is found guilty of robbery and first-degree murder. He's sentenced to death by lethal injection. Who knows if Joe West feels any remorse, but at least he can finally breathe a sigh of relief. He is now safe from ever running into a vengeful Morris. But Morris's date with destiny won't be anytime soon. In fact, it'll be many years and an agonizing wait for an execution date. And whilst Morris has time, he intends to keep battling, to keep protesting his innocence. The tragic story of these boyhood friends still has a way left to run. As the years pass, Los Angeles moves on. It embraces the cultural boom of the 1980s. Sunset Strip becomes the new home of rock and roll. Second wave feminism gives voices to women everywhere, and society is fueled by rebellion. While Joe West is free to live his life, Oscar Lee Morris continues fighting for his freedom. There are constant developments with his case. Appeals are submitted, revised, and submitted again and Long Beach police perhaps fear it will never go away. They're not wrong. In 1988, just five years after Morris's guilty conviction, there's a dramatic twist in the case. Morris's legal team uncovers evidence that proves what they've always suspected. Joe West did receive payment for testifying against Morris at trial. Unbelievably, there are several letters dating all the way back to May 1982, when West was arrested in Santa Monica, which prove that he was asked to give damning evidence against Morris in exchange for reduced charges against his crimes. The letters are written by California's deputy district attorney, West's own lawyers, and detectives from the Long Beach Police Department. In one, which is dated August 6, 1982, West's lawyer wrote that Long Beach authorities would appreciate any consideration that could be given to Mr. Joseph Lewis West concerning the charges against him. 
Another states that the bathhouse murder would probably never have been solved without Mr. West's assistance. And finally, most damning of all, in a letter addressed to the deputy district attorney, one of Long Beach's detectives wrote, I believe some form of reward ought to be made to Mr. West. This evidence is clear. Joe West benefited from testifying against Morris in 1983. Every single one of his criminal charges was either dropped or the sentence reduced. And this inducement was concealed from the jury. Naturally, when Long Beach authorities are approached about these letters, they deny any wrongdoing. The letters, they insist, refer only to Joe West's personal safety. Authorities claim that West expressed concern about going to prison, as he felt he'd be a target for Morris. They say they were trying to negotiate a deal which would guarantee West's physical safety should he end up behind bars. However, Morris's lawyers don't buy it and take the letters to a hearing in 1988. The judge agrees that their evidence proves due process wasn't served and Morris may have been the victim of a wrongful trial. So he decides to spare his life and drops Morris's death sentence. But is Morris still guilty of the crime? The judge certainly thinks so. You see, West's testimony, although encouraged by police, is still damning. It's aligned with the investigation, gave Morris a motive and opportunity, and convinced a jury of his guilt. Not to mention, West also revealed the murder weapon. So although the judge decides to drop the death penalty, he's still certain that Morris is the killer. He reduces his sentence to life in prison without parole. Morris and his legal team are not satisfied. They maintain his innocence and are determined to get him out. They issue more requests for a retrial, all of which are denied. Morris, it seems, is doomed to spend the rest of his life in California State Prison. However unbeknown to him or his lawyers, hope is not lost yet. More years will pass, but the most surprising twist is yet to come. The date is now 1997. Fourteen years have elapsed since Joe West testified against Oscar Lee Morris for the second time and condemned his old friend to life behind bars. But Joe West, now in his mid-forties, is dying. It's not known what he's suffering from, but it's clear that his days are numbered. He's lived an unremarkable life, one that has been characterized by petty crime, violence, and various prison sentences. He's failed to make any lasting attachments or meaningful relationships. And of course, he spectacularly sabotaged one of his few childhood friendships. But now, as he approaches his final days, it appears West is suddenly overwhelmed with a crippling sense of guilt. Guilt which compels him to take drastic action. It's not clear when exactly, but at some point in 1997, Joe West reaches out to the Long Beach Police Department and asks to speak with officers about an urgent matter. He claims to have a confession to make, something with the power to overturn a grave injustice. No doubt curious as to what the dying criminal has to say, officers invite him to the police station. 
It was here, 17 years ago, where he first told police that Morris had committed two murders. Then here again, four years later, when he gave evidence that reopened the bathhouse murder investigation. But today, West isn't here to bring any new convictions against Morris. In fact, quite the opposite. After almost two decades, and now faced with imminent death, West wants to clear Morris's name. In front of police and under oath, he makes a deathbed confession. Unfortunately, the precise details of West's confession aren't publicly available. All we know is that he gives police a sworn statement in relation to Morris and his alleged involvement in the 1978 bathhouse murder. In his statement, West officially retracts his previous words, those used as evidence in the bathhouse murder trial. He tells police, The testimony I gave against Oscar Morris in 1978 was a lie. The importance of these words cannot be overstated. At once, they call into question every aspect of Morris's murder trial and conviction. If West's story was in fact untrue, or perhaps only partially true, then a substantial amount of evidence against Morris disappears. And at the very least, the trial was unjust. Frustratingly though, West's deathbed confession seems to prompt more questions than it gives answers. And there won't be much opportunity to find out more. Joe West dies just weeks after giving this sworn statement. Following West's deathbed confession, in which he admitted to falsely testifying against Oscar Lee Morris, the infamous 1978 bathhouse murder case is thrown open once again. Long Beach detectives who have been haunted by this crime for almost two decades now surely roll their eyes in exasperation. They want nothing more than to close this case and forget all about it. But their wishes will not come true. Police are obliged to inform Morris's team about the confession. And as soon as the lawyers hear about it, they're spurred into action. They know that this deathbed confession has the power to change everything. You see, the letters found in 1988 have already proven that Morris's trial was unjust, and now there's evidence to suggest that West's testimony, which he was bribed to give, was in fact also untrue. As such, the conviction against Morris, which was based largely on West's testimony, will no longer be able to stand there's now a distinct possibility that Oscar Lee Morris, a three-time convicted killer, will be released. It's time to go back to trial. In the year 2000, after 16 long years in prison, eight of them spent on death row, the odds finally turn in Oscar Lee Morris's favor. Thanks to the new evidence, the California Supreme Court orders that Morris did not receive a fair trial in 1983 and should be tried again. However, seeing as the investigation is now over two decades old and no new evidence has arisen, prosecutors don't believe there's much of a case against him. 
Without the essential testimony of Joe West, it will be exceptionally difficult to prove Morris's guilt. As such, they decline to retry him. Oscar Lee Morris is officially exonerated of the bathhouse murder and released from his life sentence. It's a frustrating conclusion to such an enduring case, a case which was riddled with betrayal, corruption, and confusion. We may never know what Joe West's dying words truly meant, how much of his original testimony was a lie. Were any parts of it true? Should we even believe his deathbed confession? Especially when all the evidence still points in the direction of Morris's guilt. Whatever really happened at the Long Beach bathhouse, the reality is this. It became a crude bargaining chip in the handing out of custodial sentences and was the battleground between warring childhood friends. The truth is now lost to history. The tragedy is, though, whoever killed Thomas Maxwell on September 3, 1978, walked away scot-free, and his murder remains unsolved. Next week on Deathbed Confessions. We meet Michelle Supernant. When Michelle's 16-year-old daughter, Julie, disappears one night just meters away from her home, Michelle's life is torn apart. He embarks on a heartbreaking search to find his lost daughter, working with police and press to follow any clues as to her whereabouts. But when a witness claims to have seen a strange man lurking near the bus stop on the night Julie disappeared, the search is brought much closer to Michelle's home than he ever imagined. In fact, the suspect lives in the small flat directly above his own. Who exactly is Michelle's suspicious neighbor? Did he play a part in Julie's disappearance? And if so, will he help Michelle and police bring the missing teenager home? After years of silence, anguish, and misery, a shocking confession from beyond the grave will finally give Michel the answers he longs for. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boireau for Parcast. Series produced by Addison Nugent. Associate producer, Nicole Edmonds. Written by Nicole Edmonds. Supervising editor, Jane O. Sound supervisor, Tom Pink. Sound design by Cody Reynolds Shaw. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Mix master by Cody Reynolds Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley.